Amen. Amen. Um, you may not have brought a Bible, but uh, if you do have one and would like to open up uh, with me this morning, you can open up to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking at 6 through 11 this morning. Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 6 through 11. As you're opening up there, let me again just welcome you here to Church Outside the Walls. Um, 51 Sundays a year. We're at Fifth and Walnut in downtown Gadsden. Uh, but on this Sunday, we gather outside and gather together in this way. And so thank you for being here. And thank you for making a point to be here and for joining in our fellowship this morning, those of you who are guests. It's our joy uh, to have you. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. If you have your Bibles open there, if you're able, why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though per- perhaps for a good person would would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Oh Lord our God, we thank You so much for our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank You for the reconciliation that we can receive and that we have received to You through Him. And oh God, even now I pray we will be reminded of the beauty of this Gospel. And God, for those who don't know You, Father, we pray that the aroma of Christ will be irresistible to them today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Ask you a question uh, this morning as we get going. Uh, have any of you ever lost hope? Have any of you ever lost hope? Um, I'm an Auburn fan, it happens a lot. And uh, <laughs> as I've been saying, at least there's the Braves, right, guys? I'm feeling good about the Braves. Have you ever lost hope? I, I have. I have lost hope before. Uh, when I was in college, I started talking at, to a girl I knew already named Whitney. And I really wanted to ask her out on a date. really was interested in this girl. And one night we were on the phone. I lived in Mobile and she lived in Tuscaloosa. We were in college in different towns. And so one night we're on the phone and um, we're talking and it was kind of winding down. Time to stop talking. And I said, all right, well, it was really good talking to you. I'll talk to you soon. And, and again, I'm really interested in her. And we're still kind of in the real early stage of the relationship, trying to fill things out. And she goes, all right, bud, have a good night. And I'll talk to you later. <laughs> and it was at that moment I knew I'd been sent to the friend zone. <laughs> now, I will say... Um, I married this woman, so just to ruin this for, but I, in that moment, I lost hope. Now later, comes to find out when she said that, 
it was like a nervous energy that brought the word buddy out of her mouth. It turned out she was like, man, why did I say bud? You know, why, why would I call him bud? But it was in that moment I, I lost all hope. I thought this is hopeless. I felt like this was too good to be true anyway. Uh, and here we go. I'm now uh, in Buddyville and never and <laughs> might even be the mayor. Who knows? You know, never making it out. But if the statistics that I read are true, many of us have a hard time with hope, hopefulness. We just have a hard time feeling hopeful. I, I rarely talk to anyone, a- anecdotally, I rarely talk to anyone who just seems like, you know, I just feel like everything's going great. You know, I'm feeling good about the country. I'm feeling good about life. I think we're on the upswing. All of us, I think, in a lot of ways, just have a little bit of a low-grade fever of hopelessness Uh, Now, not all of us perhaps, but many of us do. And it's certainly the case in our society. It's certainly the case with those outside the church. Uh, There are statistic after statistic after statistic that shows that we are at all-time levels of anxiety and worry and fearfulness and depression. There is a sense of hopelessness in the world today. Things maybe aren't going our way. Maybe life isn't going our way. And the world sure doesn't seem to be going our way. I talk to Christians all the time who are so worried about the world in which their children are going to grow up and their grandchildren are going to grow up. Hope is so important, though. It's such an essential part of what it means to have a healthy inner life. It's such an essential part of what it means um, to be healthy emotionally and spiritually. Uh, We must be hopeful. Paul talks about hopefulness, uh, about how we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Just a few verses before the text we're looking at today. Hope is so important, but it can, become, it can be so hard to come by. And so this morning, the main thing I want you to know, I want you to leave this park knowing this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us hope. We can have hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from these few verses that we've just read, I want to just show you three ways that the gospel gives us hope this morning. If, if this is your first time with us, if you're visiting with us today, I want you to know we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe in the gospel of grace at First Baptist Church. So if we're going to introduce ourselves to our community in a way, we're going to come outside the walls. We want you to know the very dead center of what we believe. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us through His death, burial, and resurrection. And so one perspective on that this morning, I want to show you three ways that that gospel, that gospel of grace that God's given us through His Son, I want to show you three ways it gives us hope this morning. First of all, you can have hope in your hopelessness. The the gospel, first of all, it's the first point this morning. The gospel gives us hope in our hopelessness. Notice what the Bible says, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die... For a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no such thing as a Christian with his chest stuck out. There's no such thing as a Christian who looks down his nose at others. Christ died for the ungodly. Now, it's our goal as a church to become godly. But I'm confident I could get a witness this morning that that's a little bit of a process for us, right? 
None of us are perfectly there. I know how some of you acted in the car on the way here today. And uh, I'm just guessing. And I see, I hear you laughing. I know how you acted. Here's the reality. The gospel is for desperate people. So, some of you may be here this morning and you may say, you know, this is not the kind of group I belong in. I don't belong in a group of people who have it together. I don't belong in a big group of Baptists to sort of have it all right. Or at least think they have it all right. Not, not Baptists would be that way, right? Think they have it all right. No, we, I don't feel like I belong in this group. I want you to know this is a group of desperate people. Okay, this is a group of people, and even those of us who are still enamored with our own self-righteousness, even those of us that don't know it, we are desperate people. We are desperate for grace, and we are desperate for God's goodness. We are not gathered together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because we have ever had it all together. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because we were desperate for God's grace. And I want you to know the gospel is for desperate people. Notice what the Bible says. Christ died for the ungodly while we were still weak at the right time. We are, Christians are weak people and the gospel is for weak people. And so you may feel so weak and you may feel so desperate that you find yourself hopeless. You may say, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for my future. I can't get it together. I've tried everything, right? I've tried self-help books. I've tried seeing a counselor. I've tried all the different things that I'm supposed to do. And I've just tried doing good old-fashioned, picking myself up by my bootstraps and doing what's right. Like the old SNL skit when, uh, I think it's uh, Bob Newhart's the counselor, and they say, you know, I've really been doing this, and he just, stop it. That's all he says. Maybe that's what you do to yourself every morning. I'm sick of living this way. Stop it. But you may want to change, but my question to you today is, why haven't you already? Maybe it's because you can't change on your own. The Bible says at the right time, when we needed it the most, while we were weak, we didn't go and leverage our position to convince God to send His Son to die for us. We didn't send a committee to heaven to say, hey, listen, we know Adam messed up. We know we've really messed up since then. But listen, we're strengthening our numbers here. We're doing better. I think we're getting godlier. Maybe you could save us now. No, while we were weak and while we were ungodly, at the right time, God alone made the decision to send Jesus to die for the ungodly. The only one who's ever lived who was perfectly righteous died for those who are weak and sinful and in fact, many of us, hopeful, hopeless. When you're weak, what can you do? In all sincerity, when you're weak, what can you do? When you're unrighteous, what can you do to commend yourself before God? The answer is nothing. And, and let me ask you this question. Who would you die for? This is a point that Paul makes. Very few of us are going to go sacrifice ourselves for someone we deem to be sorry, to use Alabama language. He's just a sorry guy. We're not going to go sacrifice ourselves for them. In fact, we're going to have a hard time deciding. We're going to do calculus in our heads about whether or not we should even die for someone who's a good person, a righteous person. We're going to think through these things. Well, I've got a family to care for, these sorts of things. But the Bible says, while we were still sinners, while we were still weak, when we could do nothing, 
When we had nothing to offer God, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the weak. Christ died for the hopeless. If you feel hopeless today, I want you to know sin is what makes you feel that way. Sin is what has blinded your eyes to the hope that God offers. And I want you to know that through repentance and faith, that you can receive the good news of Jesus and you can be saved and you can have hope even in your hopelessness. This is news that's too good to be true. But the good news about it is that it's actually true and it's available to you today. So first, the gospel gives us hope in our hopelessness. But second of all, the gospel gives us hope for our future. According to a poll, the results of which were released in uh, January of this year, 55% of Americans are, quote, extremely worried about the future. 55% of Americans are, quote, extremely worried about the future. The odds are that many of us here today fit in that category. And that's why this second point is so important. Hope, the gospel gives us hope for our future. It, it is true if you look around, if you speak to people, it does seem that the polls like this seem to really be accurate of what I hear from folks. Fear and uncertainty really do seem to abound. But what if I told you that what Jesus has done in the past can give you rock-solid hope in your future? The, one of the problems you might have is that you're only looking forward when you think about the future. Okay, and it's important to look out into the, into the future, right? But the thing is, you really can't do anything about the future. What's going to happen tomorrow is going to happen tomorrow. Now, we can make good plans, but, but those plans don't always work out, do they? We can try to be as wise as we can, but even the best wisdom doesn't always pan out the way we think it will. And if nothing else happens, we're not even guaranteed to live tomorrow. So some of our uncertainty and fear is because I think we tend to only look into the future. But I want you to notice what Paul does here in verses 9 and 10. God shows His love for us, verse 8, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 9, he starts to build on his argument. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we were reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's looking at the present, the past, and the future to help shore up the hope of believers for what's coming down the line. Notice what he says. In the present, he says, Christians are justified. That means we've been brought into a right relationship legally with God, all that we were owed legally for having violated the law of God, all the punishment we deserve, through Christ we've been reconciled to God. But how is it we've been justified? We've been justified by His blood. In other words, our present is impacted by the past. His blood is something that was shed in the past. Jesus is not continually suffering right now. He brought His blood, the author of Hebrews tells us, into the true holy of holies, into the presence of God, once and for all, in order that we might be justified forever. In other words, when we're worried about the future, it would be so wise for us to look to the past. Because the reality is we are probably worried not so much about things that would happen in this world, but there's probably something in our conscience that's making us worried about what it will be like to meet God 
in our sin. Do you see what Paul says? He says we've been justified by His blood. And if that's true, what, if what's happened in the past has impacted us today, then how much more sure can we be about our future? What does he say? That we will be saved by Him from the wrath of God. That is, we deserve God's punishment for our sins. And like we would have been when we were growing up and we acted up at home, my mom used to call my dad and tell me and I would have to wait all day for dad to get home. Waiting on what sort of punishment I was going to receive. There's a lot of that going on in our souls, right? Because we feel bad for our sins and we're waiting on that day of judgment. But here's what the Bible says. If you're worried about the future, if you're worried about what the future is going to look like, look to the past. Because... The Bible says that at the cross, your judgment day happened if you are in Christ. Because you have been justified by the blood of Jesus that was shed at the cross. And all those who are united by Christ, to Christ in faith, the Bible says, are in Christ. We are covered by His blood. And whatever wrath we deserve out in the future, whatever fear we might have about the future, the worst has already happened to you in Jesus 2,000 years ago. And you are then justified by His blood today. And you can look with clear eyes into a bright future in Christ. In verse 10, Paul does the same thing again. He talks again about how we're reconciled to God in the present. How in the past we were God's enemies when Christ died for us. But in the future, if while we were enemies, we've been reconciled to God through Jesus' blood, how much more can we trust that we will be saved by His life in the future. That is, Jesus is alive and well. And if we're in Him, we can have hope for the future. That's simply what I want you to know today. If you go to Jesus by faith, you can have hope for the future. No matter what happens in this life, no matter what happens, no matter what fears you have, you know that it's nothing that one good resurrection won't fix. And we are promised life in Jesus when we come to Him by grace, through faith. And so we recognize if we've been delivered from the worst possible thing, we should have so much hope despite everything else, no matter what. We have hope in our hopelessness. We have hope for the future in the gospel. But finally, we are given hope for our present through the gospel. Notice this last verse that Paul says, Paul gives us here in this passage. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. But Paul says something similar back in verse 2. Through Him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And this is a parallel thought here. More than that, verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And you may say, Pastor, um, I'm not really that hopeless. I'm not really that worried about the future, but I, I would really like to know what I can do today. What, what does this mean for me right now? Christians, I hope you'll listen carefully as you consider this reality that there is hope for our present. Think about this. Um, think about this for just a moment, how jarring this is in our world. We are a people who are preoccupied with leisure. 
We are a people who are, not that there's anything wrong with leisure, it's a good thing to have a good time. We're a people who are preoccupied with happiness, with being as happy as we can be. We consider it the center of our lives. But how almost weird does it sound to use a word like rejoice? Rejoice. We, we have a good time. We laugh. We cut up. But how often do we rejoice? The Bible says in this, more than that, in this we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Right now, my friends, you can have a joyful relationship with your Creator. The one for whom your soul longs through Christ. That's what's offered to you today. Have you ever wondered, one of the things that I don't understand about secular thought is if, if we're just results of processes, why do we value happiness so much? Why do we value joy so much? What does it matter whether you're sad or happy if you're just an animal? If, if you're that, why do we value one over the other? Isn't it just a natural part of everything that is to be sad or to be depressed or to go through every, whatever else? Isn't it strange, though, that we find ourselves longing to be happy, longing to be joyful, longing to rejoice? There's an old theologian and thinker named Blaise Pascal. Some of you who uh, studied math may have heard of Pascal as a mathematician in other ways. He's also a Christian thinker, one of my favorite favorites. And, and Pascal sort of helps give us an answer of why so many people are sad and why we are so dis, dis, uh, dissatisfied in our sadness. Listen to what he says. He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God Himself. This has been sort of translated into common language like this. You have a God-shaped hole in your heart. And one reason why we have such a hard time being in the moment, and we have such a desire to be happy, and we have such a desire to rejoice, is because God made us to take joy in Him. And through sin and through the fall, we lost that joy. We lost that true happiness. And as Pascal says, all that now remains is the empty print and trace. And deep in our hearts, all we really want to do is go back to Eden. This morning, I want you to know something. I cannot tell you, I cannot promise you that you'll find perfect happiness in Christ today. There are plenty of Christians who are not perfectly happy. There are plenty of Christians who struggle with some of the same depressions and same struggles that those in the world struggle with. So there is not a perfect, immediate, overnight cure to every problem you have. But I want you to know, I can promise you and I can tell you that no matter what circumstances you're in, no matter where you find yourself, though I cannot promise you'll find perfect happiness today, I can promise you, you will find true joy in Christ today and in all the days that follow.
And I do believe Jesus will offer hope for your problems, but more than that, He will offer true hope and a true solution to your main problem, to your main issue. That thing which robbed you of your joy in the first place. That thing which brought all the problems we have into our world and into our very lives. Jesus can and will faithfully and fully deal with your issue of sin before God. It can be, by grace through faith, nailed to the cross of Christ today. You can be reconciled perfectly to God today through Christ because of what He did on the cross. You can have a hope in your hopelessness because Jesus has overcome sin, death, and the devil and the world by tasting death for us all at the cross. You can have hope for your future because of something Jesus did 2,000 years ago where judgment touched down in His chest at the cross and something was said about your future right there on a hill outside Jerusalem. And you can have hope for your present. You can have hope right now. You can have joy even now because of what Jesus did. Because in this very moment, though you're weak, though you're sinful, though you may even be ungodly, Jesus died for weak, desperate sinners. While we were still weak, while we were ungodly, Jesus Christ died in order that we might be reconciled to God through His blood. I offer you today the opportunity to trust Him for the first time, but I also encourage you as believers to be reminded afresh of the power of the Gospel and the hope you have in Jesus and the love which God has shown to sinners like us. The Gospel is for desperate people. And though you may be at a place where it seems like you have lost hope, today I ask you the question, would you find hope for your hopelessness? Would you find hope for your future? Would you find hope even right now? I'm going to pray here in just a moment. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Alana if she would just come play some soft music here for us for just a moment. I'm going to give you the opportunity um, to respond to the Lord. And then uh, Nathan's going to come up after that. And we're going to have a brief hymn of response. And so you take just a few moments to pray. I'll be standing right here for you. And then Nathan in just a moment will come up and lead us in a hymn of response. After this prayer, if you want to respond to the Lord today, you come and talk to me. Or, let me say this, get with me or one of our staff members or a friend you came with, whoever. When we're done, you don't have to come forward. This is not some particularly special time. We want to give you this offer, but at the same time, here in just a moment, uh, if you want to talk now, but if you want to catch me later, you catch me later, okay? And uh, after this prayer, I want to invite you to respond to the Lord in the way He's leading. Let's pray together.